My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Woodbury. I've just met what could be the making of me. She's got soul. She's got soul. Out of the blue, into my world, I found a pearl. She's got soul. Howdy. Welcome to Transmissions. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm so excited to have you tuned in today for our conversation with returning Transmissions guest, Nick Lowe. 20 years ago, he released The Convincer, which many folks state is one of his best albums. Spending time with it lately on the occasion of Yep Rock's brand new reissue, I think I have to agree. Following his rough and rowdy start at Stiff, his work producing Elvis Costello in the 70s and 80s, and his stint as a genuine pop star following the massive hit Cruel To Be Kind, Lowe found himself interested in reinventing the way he made records. The Convincer is part of a long line of albums that found him embracing subtle pop, R&B, and country tones, pushing his gentle voice even more into the crooner side of things. Originally released on September 11, 2001, The Convincer helped to establish Lowe's reputation as a songwriter's songwriter. It was a huge joy to have him join me here on Transmissions to discuss the album and much more. I hope you enjoy our conversation. If you dig it, please share it around. And if you want to support us even further, go ahead and check out our Patreon page. We've got uh, early access to a Nico Case interview over on Patreon right now. It'll be here in the regular feed in a couple weeks, but you can listen to an unedited extended edition right now at our Patreon page just by signing up to pledge us a couple bucks a month to help us keep making this independent project. All right, here's Nick Lowe. I'll speak with you more on the other side. Thanks so much for tuning in to Transmissions. Well, Nick, thanks so much for joining us here on Transmissions. I appreciate you taking the time. It's an honor to have you here. Thanks for having me, Jason. Thank you. So this Sunday afternoon, I was going through uh, some records and I was pulling stuff from my radio show. And uh, I pulled out a nice 45 RPM single of you and Dave Edmonds singing a few Everly Brothers songs. Um, and I listened to that, and then Sunday morning, of course, as of the time of this recording, at least, word broke that Don Everly had passed away. Um, and I must have listened at this point to you and Dave's version of Crying in the Rain like half a dozen times since then. I love that version so, so much. Wow. Do you really? <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. I love, I love that version. It's, it's, it's beautiful. Uh, how important were the Everly Brothers to you? I, I imagine pretty, pretty pivotal. Yeah, they, they, um, they were. Uh, um, they, they were, they really were one of my favorites. You know, when I was a, uh, when I was a kid, I had an older sister. You know, who, who used to bring rock and roll records home when rock and roll was happening you know and uh some of them i didn't care for you know she had a she really liked pat boone for instance which uh, uh, and uh, which even at the age of seven you know i i thought pat's version of tutti frutti you know was not as good as little richard's yeah thin thin uh, soup for sure <laughs> yeah 
Um, but uh, I, I I love Buddy Holly. That she she had Buddy Holly records and uh, Eddie Cochran was mm. another one of my favourites and still is. You know, I still lo- love those. But but the Everly Brothers was something else. You know, they were they there was something so modern about them. You know, even though they were bang on song for that time. They still, their records still sound kind of modern now. You know, there's there's uh, there's something really timeless um, about them, and of course they had the, the these fantastic songs um, written by Felice and Boodle O'Brien, you know, amongst others, of course. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I um, uh, my my mother was a pretty good singer. In fact, she she taught me how to play the guitar pretty rudimentary chords and uh and i used to sing with her and of course the everly brothers songs you could you could dissect them you know even though they had this wonderful blend when they yeah. sounded like one creature you know a two-headed creature yeah um, uh they they had this wonderful blend but but you could uh, dissect them you know you could sort of hear the two harmonies and so i used to sing these everly brothers songs with my ma and um uh and it gave me a real um uh help i think for later on you know being able to sing a different tune from somebody else yeah yeah at the same time in order to make a third thing happen you know and and you know not be put off by what the other person was singing in order to make a, a third sound um, so they they were certainly very influential to me and as for the beatles you know and the stones and all them that, that they lap them up of course they did yeah yeah so that's that's incredible so your mom also your mother liked the everly brothers tunes okay yeah yeah she did no she liked them a whole lot yeah well that's beautiful of course uh tom t hall also recently passed away someone who you've covered uh you do shame on the rain uh on that old magic which such an incredible song i wonder did you you ever have any interactions with tom t hall in your uh your adventures I didn't know. I don't know how our paths didn't didn't cross really because we we had a we had a few mutual friends. But um, no, I never I never got to meet him unfortunately. Or or maybe it's fortunate. You know, I understand that he, <laughs> he was a bit of a handful. You know, but, sure, uh, <laughs> sure, sure. But uh, well, uh, you know, I, I I've I've met a few of them too. Yeah, yeah. Well, what a what a, a great songwriter. I I suppose following discussion of these you know passings i don't need to tell you that it's been a difficult stretch the last couple of years you know the last year and a half um but you know one thing that really cheered me up last year was the at home performance that you did uh for rolling stone uh that that was a, a an incredible uh lift to the spirit um you were accompanied by that's that's Roy, your son, is yeah, that right? Yeah, Roy. Yes, my lad. Yes. What what kind of music does does Roy listen to? I wonder. <laughs> well, he's got a very um, he's got a very wide range of of uh, he's he's a very enthusiastic musician, and he and he's very good too. Uh, he's uh, it's not that's not a sort of a proud dad speaking. <laughs> you know, it's a sort of a, a mystery to me because he has um, he's 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 got it. You know, he's young still, and he needs 
experience, but he's got all the ingredients. And it's, it's, um, it, it's amazing to me to, to see that because I really haven't done anything to, uh, to mm. bring it on except play him a few records and, and we listen to them in the car and talk about them. And I tell him a few old war stories and things, you know, yeah. um, but um, I haven't said now, come here, Roy, I'll show you how it goes, you know, or anything <laughs> like that. Right. So right. It's, 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 um, it, it is a mystery to me how um, how that works. And it's clear, you know, it's obvious, you know, it's really obvious. But he um, he's got a very wide range of, uh, uh, you know, he's no, you know, for the difference between his generation and my generation is that when when my generation, you know, rock and roll came along, you know, and it was completely different certainly in its attitude to anything that had happened before um even though we all know that it, arguably it it started in the 1930s i mean i've heard records from the 1920s even which sound very much like rock and roll to me sure but uh, but officially it started in the 1950s you know and and um and when it um when it came along because it, it was so new it was felt like our my generation's music and so we didn't listen to anything else you know i yeah. i was a, i thought everything else was totally useless you know i might secretly have liked it a bit but i shut those thoughts down you know because they were heresy you know yeah and um uh and it wasn't until i started to get older and i thought what is the matter with you you idiot you know this what's you know, this great song, you know, from My Fair Lady, you know, on the street where you live, you know, this is a fantastic song. What's the matter uh -huh. with it? And I realised that, I, of course, I liked it all, all along. But Roy's generation, they don't have that at all. And coupled with the internet where they can hear anything, anytime, we had to hear a rumour about someone who had a Jimmy Reed record across town. Yeah. And off we yeah. go, get on a bus and knock on their door, you know, to hear it. But... um uh, but Roy can hear all kinds of music right away as well. You know, uh, you know, I don't have to tell you this, um, <laughs> but as a, as a result, he, uh, he has a really uh, wide range of musical appreciation. He's not, he's not frightened by, you know, a Doris Day record, you know, or Bing Crosby or anything like that, as well as the Isley, Isley brothers, you know, George, D George Jones, the Golden Gate Quartet, you know, he's familiar with a wide range of music. Um, but when he's, but he is 16 and he likes, uh, he also likes this thing called grime music, which is a London, primarily London based, like grime or, or drill. And it's yeah. a sort of rap music. It's a London rap music. It's quite, it's not for the faint hearted, you know. <laughs> <laughs> sure, but, uh, sure. But he, you know, he plays me, uh, he does, tra he makes tracks himself, you know, he, he um, beats, they call them, you know, on his computer. And he's sold a few as well, you know, to rappers and, uh, you know, he's pretty, he's pretty good at it. But it's, it's sort of not for me, that kind of music. But, you know, I'm, I'm interested in it because he is, you know, now. Yeah, yeah. So by the time that you were his age, were you pretty much, uh, were you at a similar level in terms of your own musical uh, journey? You started playing pretty young, right? I did, yes. Uh, no, he's, he's streets ahead of me. He, he's, he's way more informed and 
and less of a snob, you know, than me and my <laughs> friends. We, we were way <laughs> snobby. You know, what a what a waste of time that was, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, he, he's he's streets ahead ahead of me in that in that area. Yeah. Well, it's been uh, another great source of comfort of course is is spending time revisiting the convincer which is such a great record and obviously it's being reissued now for its 20th anniversary um i've listened to this record a lot of times i listened to it sunday morning while i was uh mowing the lawn and uh (laughs) and i gotta say that's a pretty good context for it because it's such there is an easy swing to this record and a lilt to it that is just mind blowing. It's such a it's it's hard to put a finger exactly on it because it's so casual, right? That it almost slips by you how sort of in the pocket and confident the record is. Uh, this is a great record. You know, twenty years later, how do you feel listening to this one? Well, um, I think it's I, I think it's the my best record. I think mm. it is. I mean, all my records are, are flawed in my view. You know, there, there isn't <laughs> one that I don't think is. Oh God, why did we do that? You know, sure. Um, but some of them are more. You know, I feel more uh, <laughs> like that than others. Um, and the convincer is probably the one I feel less like that um, than than any other uh, as you probably know you know um starting with um the impossible bird i and my f- friends and colleagues uh tr- try were trying something new you know we're trying to make records i was trying to make records and write songs in a in a different way from the way i've been doing it before and uh, we had a go uh, on the um, uh, on the impossible bird, and, and that worked pretty well. And we so we had another go um, with dig my mood, and uh, and each time we sort of refine it, we do something different. We say, oh yeah, this time we, if we do this and do that, and I was and and in a way, um, the fact that it was my name my name on the cover, and I was writing the songs and singing them was just my job you know it seemed like everybody had a job to do and that mm-hmm. happened to be um my job and uh, especially with neil brockbank who co-produced it with uh, with me well, you know he he produced it really but but i was very fussy about the arrangements and things like that so that, that was more my area but he did he did every he did the hard work and bobby Irwin, who who uh, played drums as well and was a re- very close friend of mine but sadly, both of them have passed on now. Yeah. Um, but uh, we were really, really into this as a sort of project, you know. And when the convincer came along, um, that really was when the the sort of quality of the songs and the quality of our situation sort of chimed most, you know, because, of course, you can't just dial up a bunch of good songs when it's time to make a record. You hope that something as good is going to happen. And on all the records we did, you know, you could put a fantastic record together, you know, from a compilation of uh, of all of them. But anyway, uh, the convincer definitely was the one where it worked best. We had we had two more goes uh, 
uh, as you probably know as well, with the old magic that you um, mm -hmm. mentioned, and at my age as well. Um, and then uh, we'd, we'd sort of done it then. Yeah. As far as it had gone, could go. Well, well, yeah, because I, I mean, The Convincer is, like you mentioned, you know, it's considered part of this trilogy of records. But when you look at it, it really is sort of uh, part of a, a larger tapestry of the stuff that you and Neil did, because the two of you worked on, a, you know, a lot of records over that time. Not not a not an insane amount, a very, a very normal, steady pace of records. But it's interesting that you're talking about that refinement, you know, because... It's not like you hadn't been uh, a musician for a long time at this point. You you had, I, I think, uh, if I check my notes right, you were 50, 51 or 52 about the time uh, The Convincer came out? So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, so you'd been playing music professionally and had huge hits and all this stuff for, for a few decades at that point. Um, what was it that had settled in that allowed you to explore this sort of new territory i mean were you feeling pretty confident and also relaxed at that point because that's the sort of sense i get there's a uh there's a relaxedness to the record that seems to seep through yeah yes i know well it's it, it's um it's a very good question that because it was born out of uh, anything but being relaxed you know i mm. i uh, i have i have um sort of explained at, at, at length this um, before, um, but there was a time when I really decided to change my shtick, you know, and it was when I realised that my, my sort of pop star career, which uh, lasted for, well, arguably, you know, four or five years, I suppose, I managed to squeeze out of it, but an actual pop star career, you know, when people know you in the street and taxi mm -hmm. drivers, you know, recognize you and things like that. And you can get a table in a restaurant without any trouble. At all. <laughs> <laughs> all that. Yeah. Um, that, that I, I could tell was over, you know, the public had got tired of my shtick and so had I frankly as well. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I knew I wasn't one of those people who can ride through the decades, you know, like Elton John can, has, you know, or I don't know, Neil Diamond or someone like that, you know. Um, I wasn't one of those people, you know. I, I, um, I'd had my go and it had been fun and everything, but now here I was, an unhappy man, really, because I wouldn't seem to know what I was doing, what... Mm. How, what songs I was drink, drinking too much and taking too many drugs and everything, the cli whole cliche story, you know. And I, um, and so I decided to take a clean break and uh, decide what to do next. And I came up with this theory about I'm going to use the fact that I'm getting older um, and what at that up till that time in the pop business was absolute death you know you if you you can be anything you know but too old is sure. totally forbidden you know <laughs> and i thought well i'm going to actually embrace this and make an, an advantage of it and i'm going to write in a way and present myself in a way that it'll be an, a, an actual advantage that i'm getting older yeah and i'll just incorporate it into my act and if i get it right it won't be like 
some old guy, you know, moaning on. It'll be hip and and cool, you know, like a like a sort of like a jazz record or something like that. Only yeah. it'll be pop, you know, it'll be a pop thing. And so I came up with this theory, and I had and Bobby Irwin, who had been living in San Antonio, Texas, for um, uh, for a few years. He 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 married a girl from there. Um, he and I had stayed in touch all the time he'd been away. And he was the only person really here that knew what I was talking about, you know, and, and I said, oh boy, I wish you were back here, you know, to, to give me a hand with this, you know, because it would, it would make it a whole lot easier, you know, because it's got, people don't get it here, you know. I've told them that I want to record live and I want to pl play quiet, you know, and, 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 and make records where you, where you get an atmosphere in the studio, you, you, you get a... Yeah. The mood, you know, so you record an event sort of thing. It's not just, oh, congratulations, you, you've, you've, you've recorded live, you know, pat on the head. You know, I really want to make that be a thing, you know, so yeah. it sounds like something happened this day, you know. And he knew what I was talking about. And um, anyway, then, <sighs> well, bad for him, but good for me. His marriage broke up and back he came <laughs> to the UK. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And then we were, then we were, it, we got down to it. Really, we got down to it. And uh, by this time, um, you know, I was, I, I had some pretty good songs, and uh, so we did the, we did the first. We hooked up with Neil, who I, who I knew somewhat, but I got much more friendly with him, obviously. Then, and yeah. We did the first one. I love, I love. There's sort of a. Um almost like a hangdog majesty to the to the record so much of it you know i think of a song like lately i've let things slide and i think i am very i love this idea that you're talking about of sort of using your age as a as a as a as a tool as a positive you know cuz a song like that uh that lyric about smoking I once quit now i've got one lit i just fell back into it there's something about that that just like you hear some 20 year old dude sing that and it's not gonna register you know what i mean not <laughs> yeah. not the way it does when, when when you sing it there because there's all that sort of uh that loss and so many of the characters on the album are bummed out and like really deeply blue you know but then there's also these like really sweet sweet songs on it you know she's got soul is such a favorite and then obviously let's stay in and make love is just one of the sweetest most tender songs in your whole catalog you know so i mean there's so much going on i love that idea about trying to capture the mood you know uh, was dig my mood almost a reference to that sort of thing maybe the title well i i, su I suppose so. actually i was we would we was all sitting around a table in a pub one one uh one day when we just started recording dig my mood and uh i was telling it was the, the it was the musicians you know yeah. and i was telling them that uh my my mum could could never uh, never she loved everything i did even the terrible stuff you know like a mother oh. is supposed to you know <laughs> but uh but she used to say you know she said why do you you know why do you um Oh, she just used to complain about everything I did that wasn't, you know, I, I turned stuff down, you know, and oh, that was the other thing, you know, you've got to, you've got to be careful what you 
agree to do you know don't do everything you know just be choosy you know and she would could, couldn't get that at all you know but they're nice they are they've got a lovely show at times it's a kind of square show you know i don't want to be on you know no but and she used to think that uh any publicity was good publicity. You know, sort of sounds thing. like sounds like she would fit in on Twitter or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so uh, bless her heart, you know. So and also she thought all my all the titles of of my albums were all terrible. You know, she said, "Why don't you? Oh, you're not going to call it something stupid again, are you?" Like. Uh. What is it? You know, Jesus of cool. What was all that? You know, really, you know, who told you to do that? You know, she didn't even, (laughs) she didn't even think it was me doing it, you know, (laughs) but it was some Sven Gali, you know, making do it. And um, anyway, uh, I said, well, I might even have been Jesus of cool. I I said, um, and I was telling the the guys this, she, I'd said to her, um, what do you think I should have called it then? You know, if Jesus of Cool is such a hopeless title, you know, what she said, well, I think you should have called it something like insight. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I thought that was so, you know, I I said, (laughs) that's so wet, you know, I mean, are you you serious that I would call my record insight? You know, it's about as far away, far away from, you know, what I do. Anyway, it was a good love. We all had a good love. And then, and then Bob said, yeah, so like, um, yeah, and she was trying to chime in and he said, yes, yeah, something like dig my mood, you know? Yeah. And everyone went quiet, you know, so, well, actually, no, that's a really good idea. <laughs> so <laughs> he, he thought that was a kind of a, one of my mum's, what would have been my mum's suggestions, you know, dig my mood. Yeah. But, um, but uh, in fact, you know, we all went, no, actually, that's a great idea. So that's why we called it dig my mood. Was 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 your mom still uh, around at that time? Was she able to weigh uh, in on how she liked that title? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, she liked that. She liked. Oh, she liked. Um, she liked all those records. That well, she. I told you, she liked everything. You know that I. Yeah, did. yeah. But uh, no, she was. She definitely did get that. What I was trying to do, and the the other thing was that um, uh, Elvis Costello took me on tour at one in, in the middle really of this period I took off, you know, uh, that I was saying about when I was trying to get sober and uh, clean myself up and get my mind set. I, I, uh, I had a lot of time on my hands and he very sweetly and kindly took me on the road with him on this fantastic tour with this fabulous band with James Burton and, uh, mm. uh, Jim Keltner and, uh, Jerry Sheff fantastic band and he got me in the group really to get me out out of the house you know and i was just playing rhythm guitar and i'd sing a few backing vocals but he changed the set every night you know and i just didn't know his his songs enough you know so i was on and off stage all night you know but he said to me on that tour why don't you uh, do a few solo songs to to warm up the crowd a bit, you know. And uh, so, oh, are you sure, Elvis? I don't, I don't know. I don't think I, I was. I don't think that's a good idea, you know. But anyway, he talked me into it, and I went out and I did five or six tunes one night, you know, and it went down surprisingly well. Mm. And um, 
Uh, and I thought, oh, this is pretty, you know, this, I see what he's doing. Because he just started doing that, doing solo shows as well. I said, oh, I see what he's getting at now. You know, yeah, this could, this could work. So I, I brought that on. I'd started doing uh, solo shows and I found that I really enjoyed it. But the main thing I'd noticed was that with the old songs, which is what I had at that point, you know, it was old songs. They were, I'd been making sort of records. I hadn't been, I hadn't been recording songs. I'd been making records of songs, which very often the records, you can't stand up on a stage and play the record. And that is, the song has got to be good. You know, and in a lot right. of cases, they were pretty good records, but the songs really weren't, were underwritten, you know, or overwritten in some cases. So I thought, it didn't take me many shows before I thought I've got to really concentrate on the songs I write, because if you've got a good, really good song, it, you can do it anyway. It'll take, it'll take any kind of mistreatment. You can do it fast. You can do it slow, change the key, speed it up, slow it down. A good song you can do anyway. And, um, and when you're standing up there with an acoustic guitar, you need, you need, everything to work you know you don't want right. to be it you know I, i'd stand up there sometimes and pl be playing one of these old songs and i think god why did i do this on the record you know this is terrible and now here i am i've got to do it again yeah <laughs> it's bad enough i've got to do it once so um so i thought well i i've got to get the song the songwriting right and that's the other thing about the making these records like the convincer and dig my mood that it only really works if the songs are tough, you know, and you and people feel really relaxed as you were, as you were saying, you know, play, to play quietly, and and really make a contribution to the thing, not just be putting, you know, synthesizer pads in to build up the sound, you know, they, they have sure. to play and make a contribution. But you've got to be relaxed enough to do that, yeah. and. Uh, and a lot of, especially as a lot of them were fairly slow tempo, a lot of those songs are very slow to medium tempo. Um, you can sometimes have a have a tendency to walk on eggshells, you know, when it comes to those sort of songs. In other words, to play them too tentatively. Yeah. Um, so you have to have something which sounds solid to the other musicians, you know, so they can contribute. Yeah. So yeah. That, and all, all of that stuff that I've been saying it was what made the whole project so interesting, you know, trying to pull all this stuff together. You know, it was it was just, it was just extremely interesting um, yeah. thing to, to do and to see what where we could get with it. So when you guys were recording those sort of live takes that formed the bedrock of the record, uh, were you mostly playing bass guitar? No, I was mostly playing uh, acoustic. Okay, you'd mostly play acoustic, and then would you go back in and add add bass second? Yeah, I would. I would put bass in. Or, or we had um, Matt Radford was playing bass, but essentially uh, that was sta it was stand up bass. Got it. Got it. Because it just not you know not because we wanted to be sort of rockabilly tastic, you know, but it's just that the acoustic bass has such a fabulous tone in that setting, in that kind of setting. Yeah, and, um, and he could play sort of Motown. Part James Jameson style parts on on a, on on a, a stand-up stand bass, yeah. So um, if if need be, if need be, but essentially it didn't need very much, you know. It, it really didn't right. need very much. 
Right, right. Well, it sounds so so like warm, and it's it's such a great record. Um, you've talked a little bit about playing solo, and the times that I've seen you perform, I think I've only ever seen you uh, as a solo acoustic artist. You know, I don't think I've ever seen you with the band, but you've been playing with Low Straight Jackets an awful lot lately. Uh, really, the last couple of years, they've sort of been your your main band, right? Are you are you guys working on anything right now? Mm, no, we're not. Um, I, I, well, you know, I know what you mean, but we haven't been playing at all during the last couple of years. Like well, that's else. that's a that's a great well, I point. Know <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah. Uh, um, no, we, uh, we we haven't really. We're, over the lockdown, we've we have made a few records, you know, over the internet, like a lot of people have, and it's it's surprising how um, how effective that it can be. You can. It's perfect perfectly possible to to make a pretty good, excuse me, a pretty good record <clears throat> in that way, you know, doing yeah. it piecemeal, sending, sending it to each person and away they go. Um, uh, but uh, no, we, we, um, we, we really need to be in a, in a studio together, I think. Um, and uh, when we, when we get, can get back together again, um, which, the moment is in November. I'm hoping that it's going to be possible for us to do a U.S. tour. It's, I've got one booked. You know, yeah. But, uh, who knows what the powers that be are going to decide uh, about our comings and goings? Uh, but if if all goes well, yeah, in in uh, November I'll be doing with playing with them again. That's great. So what do you, what do you like about playing with those guys? It seems like they're very. Um they're very capable of going kind of wherever, you know? It, there, there are some really rockin' songs, like rave-ups, that sound great. On this recent set of singles that you have put out, you know, in 2020, I'm thinking of. But there's also so much um, nuance, and it seems like those guys are, you know, I don't know, I've, I've obviously listened to their records and checked out their stuff for a long time. Very multifaceted, which makes, you know, mm -hmm. teaming up with someone like you whose uh, discography features a lot of textures and different styles, it seems like they're kind of a dream fit in a lot of ways. Yeah, they are. I think that I think they're, they're super musicians, you know, they're, they're really, really great musicians and, and, and very nice people too. So it's a, a very agreeable to tour with them. Yeah. Um, but they're, they, they're, because of their musicianship, it's very deceptive. You know, they, it seems very simple what they do, you know, but try and write an instrumental, you know, is really not very easy. And they've done it time after time after time. And they're great tunes, really, really great tunes and, and witty, you know, they're, they're, they're witty and, uh, and funny and sexy at the same time. It's a very hard act to pull, to pull off, but, uh, and what they do with my stuff, when we first got together, I mean, I, I've known them for quite a long time, just on the circuit, so to speak. And uh, we share management, so it, it's not that much of a stretch that we've um, we've done this together. But when we first got together, they they had kind of learnt up my records, you know, as close as they could, even though there's a lot of keyboards on my records, you know, but which they don't have keyboards, they just have guitars, but they, they'd done a pretty good job of uh, learning a record. Stuff. But it didn't, it didn't really work all the time, you know, and, and I, until 
it didn't take very long, really, before I said, look, don't worry about the record, you know, just take the song, just do yeah. the, you know, think of the chords and let's do the song your way, you know, play, play it your way and I'll sing over the top. And so we, we both of us sort of seem to adjust together, you know, and yeah. so now it seems totally natural, you know, I, I mean, I've written a number of songs since I've been with them, you know, which we've recorded one, one of them, uh love starvation that was that that was one that i wrote absolutely with with this in in mind um and uh, one or two others um it, it seems totally sort of natural when we um when we get together yeah that's great i i i think a little bit about how you know they were an established band uh, and then you know you're linking up with them and working together, and obviously when they're playing with you, their job is to support the songs, you know, and to support you as a as a vocalist. But it made me wonder if working with a band like that that does have a defined identity, does it remind you at all of your time producing? Because obviously you produce so many artists, you know, from The Dam to you know Carlene Carter and Graham Graham Parker. Is it at all like that, the sort of same dynamic in terms of like your entering into their world and they're entering into yours and it's sort of a, a give and take? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I'd never I'd never really thought about it, but I think in a way it is because um we've 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 both got great respect for each other's thing, you know. And and yet it's so much fun when we um, um, meld them together, you know, that both fa both factions want to make it work, you know. So I'm very anxious because that's the way it it turns into a, um, as I said earlier, you know, that expression turns into a third thing, you know, the two yeah. parts come together and it comes into a third thing. And when it does turn, that's really exciting. That is because it's, no, no one can quite believe it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when it works really well like that, and it uh, as and uh, and it does very, very often. Well, we have our bum nights like uh, like everybody else, you know. But um, it 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 works very well most of the time. Yeah. Do you do you ever miss producing? You haven't produced a lot of records in the last couple of decades, but for a minute there, you, you were working a lot with other artists. What was behind your decision to stop doing so? And yeah, do you do you sort of miss it at all? Mm, I don't really miss it. No, I sometimes I sometimes think I could. I could do it again, but really, the the it was when I started producing records. It was in an era where really anyone could be a record producer. All they had to do was to um, have the the front, you know, to to do it to to say right, I'll you know I'll do that now. You play this, you play that, and then right, let's have a listen to that. That's very good. Now you over here, you hear what they're doing, you know. Yeah, you just had to have the balls to be able to do that, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and and a lot of bands were really quite grateful to have someone to come in and shape their stuff up. You know, the the sort of surly 
don't tell me what to do stuff came a bit later, you know. But, um, <laughs> but if you were young like them, like the bands I first started producing, I was just the same age as them. I wasn't some old guy in a suit and tie, like right. the producers who used to produce my early bands. You know, they were they seemed ancient to me. They were probably in their thirties or forties, <laughs> you know. But they seemed ancient to me. These old men, you know, saying do this, do that, you know. So when I came along, I was the same age as the bands I was sort of saying, do this, do that to. But because of that, it was, I, I was sort of one of them, you know. So, yeah. um, so it was a bit different. But I didn't really know what I was doing. I, 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 um, I, I was very often wrong. Uh, and in, again, in those days, you could be wrong. You, that, you, there was room for being wrong, but um, because it was, no one really knew how it went anyway. It was, uh, it was, you were just making it up on the, on the spot. But uh, my, the the thing I enjoyed was um, the. Well, I, it was it's very, always very exciting to go into a studio and then come out at the end of the day with what is going to be a fantastic record, you know, that you know that people are going to love. And in the morning, it didn't exist. Yeah. And in the afternoon, there is this thing that you know people are going to, all over the world are going to hear this this thing. And that, that was exciting. But it was the process also that I, I found interesting, the sort of, um, well, sort of man management. I like the, I like the, uh, again, I've, I've, said this before they um trying to figure out where the if you if it was a band for instance trying to figure out where the the power lay you know it might not be in the most famous member like the lead singer yeah it might be the the bass player who doesn't say anything you know right that guy over it you figure out you make friends with this this guy who doesn't really want to be friends with you you know but you try and try and make friends with him and then you can get the lead singer who's a bit stupid you know to do <laughs> yeah <laughs> to, to do you know uh, something that he's he doesn't know he wants to do yet through the bass but you know that kind of thing I, I i love doing that and um um and and again sometimes sometimes i was right sometimes <laughs> i was wrong but it was it was very very good fun and uh, and then of course I got um, very lucky with Elvis Costello because I'd known him for way before you know he was um, he was Elvis Costello only when he was Declan uh, McManus you know yeah. he used to come and see the Br Brinsley Schwartz play playing right and uh, and I became his record producer when he signed to Stiff Records. Um, but it really didn't take very long for me to realize, hang on, you back, you can back off here, pal, because this guy is something else, you know, and he, uh, you, he doesn't need to be told what to do. And, you know, you've got to be a more of a facilitator, facilitator with, um, with him. And, um, and. I, I can't remember what I did on any of his records. I must have done something because <laughs> he kept on asking me to come back and, and yeah. do whatever it was. But I think it was just to sort of encourage him to, you know, it was encourage and, and not just Elvis, but because the, his band, his fabulous, fantastic band he had, who were all extremely, um, there wasn't a passenger there, you know, they were all fantastic. Right. Um, 
so I, I just really had to sort of in, encourage them and uh, urge them to to go on. Yeah, I think that he's such an interesting case because when you're talking about figuring out, you know, who's the who's the guy with the power in the room. We had we had the producer John Leckie on this podcast oh, yeah. recently, you know, and and he was talking about how, you know, yeah, exactly what you said. One of the most important things you do as a producer is you figure out who's actually in charge in a way, you know, like who's actually the one doing this. I have to imagine with Elvis, there was very little doubt that that was the guy who knew where you were going, yes. right? Yeah. Yeah. But he's also so interesting because at that time, you know, a lot of your work was lumped in with the punk movement or new wave or anything like that. But he's a guy who's similar to you, I get the sense. He's got interest in much older music and he's all over the map and it wasn't coming, he wasn't, you know more of a classicist in a certain way, you know, in terms of songwriting. You must have yeah. known when you first encountered him that he was writing songs that were maybe a cut above some of his peers, right? Oh, definitely, yes, definitely. I, I mean, I had I had some I, I had some things to say to him about that though. You know, I thought that they were sometimes too complicated, you know, I, mm. I, I used to try and encourage him to strip it down a bit, you know, and and take out some of the fancy words, you know, and make <laughs> just do something a little, you know. But really, who, who? After a while, you think, well, who am I to question this guy? You know, he's incredible, you know. But but we became friends as well, and um, uh, and uh, and uh, so I was able to say things like that to him, you know. Yeah. How about it? You see, really. There's about three songs in this song, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to give all your stuff away. I don't yeah. know. I, 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 I really don't. But um, I, to you, as to your point about the punk thing, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, uh, I did the Damned, uh, the Damned album, and they were certainly a punk group, but they were really fantastic group. You know, they were they were more like a garage rock and roll band like the stooges or the mc5 or something like that to me they weren't just that sort of mindless dim-witted stuff you know i never liked that that stuff you know yeah I, yeah very, very, very little of the of actual punk music that i thought was much good but the it was the attitude that i liked you know that was just like a drink of water to me you know the the punk attitude, but I was much more interested in good music. So I was too old, you know, to, to like that noisy, silly, thumpy stuff. You know, I was too old. I was 25 or something. The damned called me granddad, you know, an uncle. And, <laughs> you know, these were disparaging words, you know, when I was, um, I was, you know, well, I was a bit more than a kid then, but not much more. Yeah. I put I put that damned record on last night to get ready for this and I and I I know exactly what you're talking about. There's much more space in that record than a lot of punk records in terms of the uh the guitars. I mean it's still a loud record, you know, and it still rocks, but there's just like that garage thing definitely comes through in a way. Um 
But yeah, I, I, you know, we've had the the pleasure of speaking a few times, and I, I went back and I, I double checked. I wanted to make sure. I don't believe that I've ever asked you about David Bowie, and sort of in this era that we're talking about, he released Low, uh, and then you released an EP called Bowie minus the E, just the way Low was minus the E. Uh, I'm really curious. Did you ever hear back from Bowie about? about that uh or did you ever have no. any run-ins with him you never you never heard what he thought no i didn't and uh i i um i, I never met him actually i i, I, mm. I i'm amazed that I, I i never did yeah because i've got so many uh friends of mine who were some in some cases were very good fr- friends with of his but um uh i never i never actually met him and i I never really. Ex- it didn't seem like a big deal at the time to 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 do that. You know, it's it. I suppose it seems much, much more, much cheekier now. You know, than than um, than it did at the time. It, it and I don't think I ever expected to hear anything back from him uh, anyway. But I didn't. But it was a. I don't know. In many ways, a kinder, gentler time back then. You could yeah. do something like that. And no one would give it. No one would give it a, a stuff. Yeah, I would say. I was gonna say. Yeah, now I've already made one Twitter joke, but I'm sure there would be all sorts of like headlines about how you were clapping back at Bowie or whatever. You know what I mean? Some sort of uh, some sort of joke. But I've always loved that. I love. You know, you you've talked about how you felt maybe you were a little too old for the punk thing, but that attitude that you're talking about i think that uh is exhibited in your work from the time chiefly in that sense of humor you know because you're not taking it very seriously and it seems to me that a lot of rock and roll music at the time was hyper serious or aspiring to hyper literate you know sort of uh stances and there's nothing wrong with that stuff so much of that stuff is stuff i love now but it seemed to me like at the time if you were punk in any way it was in the uh the sort of um the sort of jokey riffy you know irreverence is that a fair way to to put how you maybe felt in those days well i wonder if i've got this little this little sort of game that i play with uh, with and some of my friends are in on this uh, about it's called funny and not funny. Okay. And, and the theory is, I mean, I could expand upon it, but the theory is that up until the Beatles who I love, don't get me wrong. I love all pop music was funny. Ah. It was Otis Redding. Uh, I, I don't mean comedy. Uh, I, I, it's something else. There's a sort of humorousness in it. Elvis Presley, Otis Redding, James Brown, all of it, they were funny. Even Frank Sinatra was funny, you know, and, and yeah. Doris Day, you know, Tennessee Ernie Ford, Howling Wolf were funny. The Beatles come along and they invent prog rock. Yeah. They, yeah. they made it, put the art thing in it, and they invented not funny. And um, now there's a lot of not funny artists who are really, really good. Yeah, yeah. 
So, 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 as you know, we uh, look at this great record, The Convincer. You know, do you feel because it is funny? You know, there are funny songs on it, and and I mean, lately I've let things slide. Is is funny? You know. Um, yes, I, I know what you mean. Yeah, I, because I um, I've always liked to um, uh, invent as a. Uh, a character to do my songs you know it's not it's not i don't really do personal yeah, stuff yeah. i've had my heart broken and and i've been lied to and i've lied uh -huh. and uh, you know and done bad things and had bad things done to me so i know what i'm talking about but i don't really put you know put my diary to to music you know um instead it's i like to invent a character to uh to uh, to do the hard work, yeah. you know, in, in the song. But um, preferably, the thing that I most enjoy is the hapless sort of goon, you know, someone who who really is he's trying to do his best, you know, but it's just not good enough, you know, and, and his pathetic, you know, attempts to make things right, you know. I, that, that, that's that's a that's an area that i find extremely interesting and also very yeah. funny uh, there's something there's something very funny about that yeah even even in if somebody is broken hearted you know some tragedy has happened it and you're writing a song about about it if you if if the character says something funny in the midst of that it seems to heighten yeah. the misery yeah because you, know, you think Oh, man he's trying you know he's trying his best you know to get out of this you know and it's and it's no good yeah. you know so it just it does see it's a sort of technique you know which, which ramps up the uh the the misery yeah you know? <laughs> and 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 makes you smile or, or even chuckle you know but you do it at the same time you think oh yeah i, I get that yeah you know? yeah that's beautiful that's beautifully put um well, Nick, it's been such an honor getting to hang out with you a little bit this morning and ask you about this this great record. Um, before we go, I, I would have to... We've talked a little bit about Elvis. Um, looking online, it seems like some people seem to suspect that you were in the studio with Elvis Costello before the lockdown happened. Uh, is there any truth to this rumor, or can you not talk about that? We can cut this out if need be, but I'm curious. No, it, um. Uh, no, 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 I, I'm not coy about that at all. Um, right before it happened, I went to tea with Elvis, mm. um, me and me and Peter, you met just now, my, my yeah. wife, and I went, went to tea um, at his hotel when he was over here doing, doing shows, and he asked me to, you know, if I would come and essentially produce a few tracks for him. He had, he booked some time in Abbey Road and, uh, and I, I was astonished by how quickly I said, yes, okay, I, I would. Um, and two days later, he cancelled his tour, went back to Canada, as it was. And, and, uh, and all that, those plans were uh, yeah. shelved. So um, I don't know whether when the smoke clears, you know, and we all come out from hiding, that he, he's going to ask me again, but uh, we'll... 
we'll, we'll I've, I've got I've I've I've, I've got my fingers crossed. Uh, I think Blood Blood <laughs> and Chocolate is maybe my favorite Elvis Costello record. So I'd love to hear you two do something together again. But regardless, um, I'm looking forward to whatever you do. Nick, thanks so much for your time this morning. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jason, for having me. See you again. Bye. Cupid must be angry. That's all I can say. How else to explain why he's gone away? I've been praying. Nick Lowe on Transmissions. I'm Jason Woodbury. I write, host, and produce the show. Andrew Horton edits our audio. Visual assets are created by Sarah Goldstein and Jonathan Mark Walls. And our executive producer, top of the show, announcer, and main man is Justin Gage, who founded Aquarium Drunkard in 2005 and hosts the Aquarium Drunkard show on Sirius XM every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. California time. I appreciate you tuning in. We know there is no shortage of things you could be listening to right now on the internet, and we are honored to have your attention. I'd love to hear what you're thinking of the show. You can find my contact info over at AD. You can find me on most of the social media platforms. And of course, Aquarium Drunkard is on Patreon if you want to take your support further. Next week on the show, Alan Licht. Until we're back in the same zone, stay safe, and thanks so much for tuning in to Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. Cry.